when I wrote Aunt Jen, as I said, I carried it in my head for a long time. But I remember one of the times I went visiting my mother, she took me to the home of a friend. We chatted and met the people and everything. When we left, she said to me, I'm going to tell you something that you'd never believe. She said, those two persons came to England before we did. That's my parents. She said, they, they were among the first set of people who came and they left a child in Jamaica and they have never, never gone back for her, never seen her, never maintained any kind of communications or contact with her. And I thought, wow, I must do that where I write about this girl trying to connect with these people. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Like A Real Book Club, a podcast from Rebel Women Lit where we talk about books and just about everything else. Today we have a very special episode with Professor Paulette Ramsey, who is an author, poet, translator and academic whose debut novel, Aunt Jen, originally published in the Heinemann Caribbean Writers series, is being re-released by Hudder Education. It's also being released alongside her new novel, Letters Home, which is not quite a sequel to Aunt Jen, but definitely connected and in the same world. Both Aunt Jen and Letters Home uses the intimacy of letter writing to explore the effects of migration on the family. We also take a deep dive into Jamaican culture through folklore, proverbs, and even Bible verses, and how certain rituals such as interpreting dreams and funeral practices reflect the Jamaican culture that goes beyond our music. On Jen is being republished along with eight other Caribbean classics that have been missing from our bookstores for quite a few years now and are making a return from the vault. You can shop these books at rebelwomenlit.com using the link in our show notes. If you're a Rebel Women Lit Sustaining member, novelty subscriber, or a book club subscriber, you'll get a free copy of Letters Home when you shop from the Caribbean Contemporary Classic series on our website. So check the links in our show notes. And let's continue with this amazing interview from Professor Ramsey talking about her two books. How do you read? That, that's something I'm always curious about with writers, um, especially writers I know who read widely. How do you read? How do you practice reading? My reading is crazy because a lot of my personal reading is a pile of theoretical material. Mm-hmm. It's, it sounds crazy, but... In order to do the research, in order because this is in my career, I have to publish. I have to do the research, generate the papers. Even though I do creative writing, I was never assessed for my creative writing. So when I became a senior lecturer, which in the American system is associate professor, None of my creative works were considered. When I became full professor, the same thing. I have been judged on the basis of my research, and I have generated a lot of it. So a lot of my research, my reading has been spent, buried under the theory, under all the different branches of, of feminist theories under all the post-colonial thinkings, under the post-modernist ideas and so. So that's most of my reading. When I read other material, I'm reading to be able to teach. Mm. I teach literature. That's, That's my main area. I teach Spanish literature. I teach Latin American writers in general. I teach some peninsular writers. Um, 
and I focus a lot on black writers in Latin America who are the neglected writers, right? So, so that is my, my main area, finding new writers, finding what new dimension they are bringing to the corpus of literature in their, their field. I find that I could teach a text, a literary text, for, for a number of consecutive years, and every time I discover something else in that text. Because this is the beauty of, of words, mm-hmm. of writing, of reading, that the, the, the dynamism of words allow you to interpret so much. Sometimes I sit with my students and we are on one, one incident and we are going down a chain and we say, you know, perhaps we could read this in this way and somebody, and it's possible to read. And there, there is a, a, a phrase I've given my students and I usually tell them in first year, I say, you're going to learn this now, that in order for me to understand a literary text, I must dig deep below the subterranean levels. I am not going to stay at the top, at the surface level. And they love, I say, learn, learn the term. You're, you're going to go way down into the subterranean levels. So, so we do that and we, sometimes we find ourselves just going as if in a chain and just finding another meaning, another possible meaning and another possible meaning and, and, and so on. A lot of my own reading is spent reading over mm-hmm. and over to see what next. And, and sometimes this year I may teach a text and I may spend a lot of time on one aspect with this group. Next year I spend a lot of time, right? And, and now I understand why the lecturers never changed the books. <laughs> when, I was a student, <laughs> yes. when I was a student, I found it annoying because people who went to university 10 years before you, you know, would say, you're doing Pascual Duarte? I did Pascual Duarte. And I'm saying they're still teaching it mm-hmm. after so many years. But now I can relate to that, that there's always something because the word is so dynamic, you know. I find that interesting because as a student, when you're doing literature, it's always you want the teacher to do something new. There's so much fresh literature coming out. Why are we still reading this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And there's just such a wide range of especially Caribbean literature especially non non Asian non-European literature that's coming out now right so there's always this 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 hunger in terms of we're having a lot more writers a lot more writers of African descent a lot more writers with much different backgrounds being published and how do we make space for them in the academia is something that I'm glad I don't have that stress <laughs> yeah. Well, well, well. Some of us are making a, a deliberate effort to expand the the offerings. So I just coordinated the writing of a new MA, for instance, and we've just created entirely new literature courses. For it's a comparative literate, um course. I, I should say interdisciplinary. So we are having it in film. In, in literature and education. But for the literature, we are giving them new writers, many new writers. In, in the Hispanic area, I've written courses on Black writers in Central America, Black writers in, in Latin American countries who have not received much attention and so on. Because there are some writers um, who... And, and, and do not get me wrong. Let me tell you some of the greatest writers I have read are Latin American writers. They, they just have an ability to use words and to use sentences. When you talk about 
uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. No one writes no like one. Gabriel Garcia Marquez. <laughs> no the longest sentence still belongs to him. <laughs> I can tell you. And that long sentence was about blood flowing down the street, down, 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 down the street, around and around and around, until it got to the house where the fellow's mother lived and stopped at her feet. And that is how you know how long this long sentence tells you how the blood flowed. Nobody can create pictures like Gabriel, the greatest writers, right? But I also think that unfortunately, so many of us have shied away from our own Caribbean writers. One of the things I'm happy for that people like Dr. Victor Chang, same Professor Edward Baugh, um, Professor Maureen Warner-Lewis, and there, there, there was a group of people in the English language department, in, in English literatures or literatures in English, who gave us the Garth St. Omer, who gave us the, the V.S. Naipaul, and who, who did Sam Selvan, and all these writers with us. We did Louise Bennett. In, in in the West Indian literature course that I did at UWI, we did a whole range of Caribbean writers. But I think that at the secondary school level is where there, there has been uh, a deficiency. There has been a, a, a sort of reluctance on the part of some teachers to teach Caribbean writers. Some of it has to do with them not having what they call background information. So, you know, people like to get the spark notes mm. and, you know, something prepared to like say. supplementary this is notes to follow. Yeah. Yes. This is how you should think about and somebody, you know, comes with some prescribed interpretation. How to think. How to, think, mm. how to read so-and-so, mm. right? Instead of just taking the book and reading it and coming up, having a discussion with their students and coming up with, you know, ideas, teaching students to read literature. Um, I think one of the instruments, I'm using instruments, um, that has helped is CXE, the Caribbean Examinations in Literatures in English, because we had a new generation in, in the last, say, since the mid or late 1990s into the um, 2000s who have been in charge of writing the syllabi. And they have brought, that's how Aunt Jen got onto the CAPE syllabus mm -hmm. because you had new people who said, no, it's time to remove some of these books. Some people did not know how many you know, all these Caribbean writers that were there. And there's, there's also a reluctance to, to do something new. So one of the challenges some of the teachers have with Aunt Jen is that it's written in an epistolary form. And they, many of them didn't understand how to treat this epistolary form. What do I do with it? We need chapters. Tell me more about that. Uh, what was it like when Aunt Jen was selected? to be part of the CXE syllabus and what was the reactions? Because right. I know that once you're selected, you get a lot of attention from teachers asking questions. And what was that process right. like? Well, that was interesting, but it wasn't entirely new because and quite a number of schools across Jamaica, especially, had been using mm. it. Um, in the, and, and because of the kind of text that it is. This is a text that could be used at second form, third form, and then in the, in the higher levels. So a number of schools, long before it was selected by CAPE, um, I had gone to schools to talk about it. I remember the first school I went to to talk about Anjan was Jamaica College. And I was surprised. I said, I said to the teacher, you're doing this book with the boys? And she said, yes, they love it. And when I went, I went to an auditorium full of boys who were just buzzing with excitement. And I said, do you really like this book? 
do you like reading about a girl protagonist? And they said, yes, miss. We understand everything that she, she, she's going through. We can relate to her situation. So, and, you know, many of them began to tell me about, you know, mother being away mm. and so on. Many of them had that situation with parents not there. But just the Jamaicanness of it um, made them able to relate to it. So there were several schools. I went to Arden. I went to Michael Teachers College. There are a number of places that were, were using it. I also went the two, I was invited by two institutions in France because they were doing Aunt Jen, and that, that was very exciting. Um, was it translated, or is it still in the original no, English? No, they were, they, were, they were reading the English because they were They're studying, studying English. English. Nice. They were studying English, and they were doing um, texts in English, literature texts written in English. Mm -hmm. And they were excited and they had done projects that they they were they wrote journals, writing back, responding to some of the letters. They they it it, it was oh, wow. that was very exciting for me. So when it went to Cape, I I was excited, but it wasn't really entirely new. Mm -hmm. But I was happy to see that it had been embraced by our regional examination board and that more of our students because then I got calls coming to me from Trinidad and emails. Teachers in Trinidad and in the other islands were saying it's on the syllabus and we want to teach it. Do you have any materials and so on? Um, and some and and there's you know there there are critical essays on Aunt Jen. I remember once there was a group that came from the University of Mississippi because they were studying it. They they were doing it. Yes, they were doing it in their literature course, and they came to. We usually have summer school um, for different American universities with whom we have MOUs. And they came, and I remember having to talk to them about it because they were studying it. There are a number of, of universities abroad that do it as part of their Caribbean Women Writers course. Mm. So, yes. Um, and I had a friend in the UK who taught it too. He was in a university in, in England, and he so it has been used on different. Sunshine um, has traveled. <laughs> yes, yes, he has. But for our listeners who haven't read it yet, um, I must apologize. We just went on and on about how wonderful <laughs> this text is. Could you give us a very brief idea as to what Aunt Jen is about? Oh, and Jen is about many things, you know. Many things. Many things. <laughs> it's about many things. Aunt Jen is is first the most basic thread of Aunt Jen is about a young girl writing to make connections with her mother. Um, she writes several letters to her mother before she hears something that is not really anything, and she continues to write. Then the, the other level is that in her writing, she communicates so much to this absent mother. So she becomes the kind of news agent. She's updating the mother on everything that's happening in the community. It's, it's her way of keeping the mother pulling her back. It's almost like pulling her back to the community. So, you, you know, you can't escape because Miss Mabel wants you to come. Aunt Sue wants to see you and, and so on. She gives her... You haven't had dinners. Christmas dinner in so long. You don't, you don't remember what this tastes like. You remember this person from church. Ex all of that. Exactly. Yes. Telling her everything about church, who has died, you know, who and, and so on. How the funeral went and everything. <laughs> And, and, and then there is that level at which Aunt Jen is a, is, is a, a, a conveyor of, of Jamaican culture. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that was one of the, when earlier we spoke about having an agenda, some writers having an agenda. And I wanted to share what I have always considered that richness that we have in Jamaica, which is not about which is not about reggae music because so many people think that Jamaican culture is just about reggae, reggae music or dance or, yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, um, but it's about the community spirit, the way people live, the sharing, the caring, the rootedness of religion mm-hmm. in Jamaica. That is such a central part of who we are. Um, and the, the sort of devotion to church. This is my church as opposed to your church, and I will pass 10, ten churches, churches to go, to go there. Church. Can I tell you, yes. when I read that, it took me back to my childhood when I would walk with my grandmother to church and I would count the amount of churches we are walking past just yes. to go to her yes. New Testament church because the rest of the churches are not her church. So I completely understood Sunshine's frustration in that moment. (laughs) Walking past all these churches, and and remember now, the the Anglican church for many people in that particular era was also a a kind of symbol of status. It's an aspirational church. Yes, so you you go to this church and you sit on the choir in your robe and it means you belong to a particular group Mm -hmm. in the community, right? Mm -hmm. And you sing a particular way, you sing these lovely English hymns, right? (laughs) And and sometimes that was the only time many of them spoke English, but they could speak English. And that was the other aspect of Jamaica. That's the Jamaica that I grew up in, where rural folk, rural people could speak English. They went to school. They went to pr- primary school. or In the case of my grandmother and so, they would have said elementary school and they were taught English. And they could do that code switching. So even if they were not speaking English on an everyday basis, they understood English, they could produce English, mm-hmm. and they were fluent in Creole. And this is Sunshine. Sunshine is a fully bilingual girl. Yes, she is. Sunshine is bright, bright, bright. Her English is good, solid, and Sunshine can switch to Creole and speak like Ma and speak in Proverbs. The Proverbs were an important part of the Jamaican language system. How do we speak, particularly in a, particularly in a, in an, a certain age group? They are speaking in Proverbs all the time, right? And those Proverbs are rich. And sometimes we don't, we have no idea what, when my grandmother would speak in Proverbs sometimes, I didn't know what she, but I knew it was serious. You know, it was serious. What? You knew that what was happening, you need to take it seriously. And even if you don't get it, you know that at some point you will understand what it means. Yes, you will eventually So when know. that situation yes. comes up, you repeat the Proverbs. And you see that in yes. Sunshine's maturity as well. So when she, she starts oh, yes. writing in Proverbs, when she wants to scold her mother, and she starts oh, writing yes, more definitely. about herself. And it, it's, yes. it's a beautiful coming of age novel. And I think you did it wonderfully. Uh, I wanted to go back to one thing, though, about religion. Yes. At the beginning of the book, there are a lot of dreams that happen. And I thought at first, oh, it's probably nothing. And then we saw that there's introduction of um, Mother Penny. Yes. So there's the dream interpreter. Uh, who Gramps is not really here for. I think it's Janelleship. <laughs> Gramps is skeptical. Gramps is very skeptical, very skeptical about, about it. it. Yeah. And But Ma takes it seriously. And I started realizing also the dreams had significances where they would refract what's happening in the real world. And I was curious about that aspect of the book, why you chose to write. The way we, as Jamaican people, even if we are 
Christians, even if we don't necessarily believe in superstitious things, the way we behave is very differently. We behave in a way that we believe these dreams. We still do different frenal practices that may not be 100% Christian. So I, I was just curious if you could talk a bit about that, the way you blend the spiritual beliefs, the way we practice versus our chosen Christianity. Right. So worldview is is something that we can't escape from if we want to portray, to, to, to present a realistic and authentic portrayal of a community, of a group of people. And the, this Jamaicans believe in dreams. Yes. Right? They're always talking yes. about dreams. Last Somebody night, said a dream, dreamt- see you? You stop. <laughs> yes, that you don't want, I don't want anybody to dream up. <laughs> yes. Or if they, so we all know now that old death is new death. Mm-hmm. So there are some, some stereotypes or standards for interpretation, right? Muddy water. Muddy water is bad luck, you know? So every, I grew up hearing people talking about dreams. The, the adults were always talking about their dreams and some were worried about the dreams mm-hmm. and when nobody in the in the district could interpret the dream then they would go to mother penny and these were people who were christians who went to church every sunday but this was how they syncretized that is how we lived this we 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 love to talk in an academic way about syncretism but that is how we saw this this syncret syncretic way of living walking with the bible Believing in the Christian God, but still believing. And, and I'm not even talking about them, you know, practicing obia or anything like that, because people were very skeptical of that too. Mm-hmm. And people who were said to practice those other forms um, were not looked at, you know, very in, in positive light. But they believe that Mother Penny had a wisdom and an ability to see beyond the normal, and she could interpret the dreams. And Mother Penny was a real person. When I, when I, I was going to high school, I would pass her house, and every day there was a long line of people waiting to go and see her. She was supposed to be this visionary, this prophetess, so she could she could foretell, you know, yes, what was going to happen, mm-hmm. and she could read you up. So people would go, and she would they would spin around, and she would tell them what was going to happen, and so on. So and people believed in Mother Penny. The same people who would go to church on Sunday and pray that nothing bad would happen to them would go to Mother Penny on Monday morning to ask her if something bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I, I, the, the, these are memories that I've carried in my head. I, I remember passing her house and you would see cars coming from all over the place, bringing people to be there. Sometimes they spent the whole day because it was so important to get to have their consultation yes. with her. You know? And we see when Sunshine grows up that she begins questioning the, these practices where she goes, how do you pray about something, but then you do the opposite? Whereas in earlier yes. parts of the book, Sunshine is very much, I, I guess, in agreement, always in the same step with Ma. But as she grows up, she yes. begins forming her. She starts having these Question. questions. Yes. She starts forming right. herself and... I just thought the way that you did that in terms of exploring it without being dismissive of Ma, dismissive of Gramps, it was just such a beautiful way of sunshine coming of age in terms of her maturity. Yeah. I I think one of the things that happened with Aunt Jen is that so many of those experiences are things I carried in my head Mm -hmm. for such a long time. So they... They were so they were not necessarily my first hand experiences. Some of them were, many of them weren't. Um, 
but they, they, I had carried them in my head for such a long time. And I knew one day I would write about them. That they were so familiar. They were so natural for, for me to weave them and, you know, um, counterposition them mm-hmm. and, and so on. But I wanted to go back to the Jamaican culture because I could not write Aunt Jen without writing the Anansi stories to include Anansi. So Anansi, for me, Anansi and the dreams Mm -hmm. work in the same way, where the dreams are symbolic of the culture, of the belief systems, the worldview of, of Jamaican people. But the dreams within the dreams are also embedded certain thematic aspects of the work. Mm-hmm. So a dream is not just somebody dreaming, but it means it really means something and connects to something else in the in the story. And the Anansi story is not just a story that somebody is telling, but it is also making connections, Mm -hmm. right? Digging lines underground to connect to a a, a theme, a meaning in the broader work. But Anansi, we grew up listening to Anansi stories, you know, all the time. We, we, We heard adults telling Anansi stories. We would tell versions of Anansi stories. So that had to be there to, to reflect the true Jamaican culture. And so much of that has been forgotten. You know, there, there's so much departure from that. I don't know if, if, if children now talk about Anansi or know about Anansi. Oh, I, I don't know. Maybe in TV shows. I don't know if they're... <laughs> maybe, I don't know. I, I, I think storytelling overall has evolved um, a lot. Yes. We, a lot of how we consume stories now tends to be through media. And I don't think our folk tales have really evolved into that just just yet. And and I don't know if they well, and I don't know if they need to. I think we still need that space where you know we tell them the way our older folk used to tell them, and so on, and um, still maintain. Maybe I'm old fashioned. I don't know, but that's that's just. I just think there's a place for the old. And I think so that, too. You know, we should preserve. Something we've started doing, this is on the side at Rebel Women Lit. Uh, we've, since the, I, I, I wanted to do this before the pandemic where we would gather on just like somebody's house or veranda and we'd just share stories. But then the pandemic yes. happened. <laughs> so what we've been doing is there's this app called Clubhouse, which is just audio only. And people have been able to okay. join in from across the Caribbean and tell Duppy stories, tell old Hague stories. Okay. Um, so that's yes, our way yes. of, and we've been learning a lot because I've learned a lot in terms of Guyanese, how their folklore differs from ours here in Jamaica. And so maybe there is some space, but I, I, I do yeah. hope storytelling in terms of just oral tradition in literature yes, yes, um, grows. Yes. I, I hope it doesn't die. Uh, Yes. But I love the inclusion of that because it felt to me very similar to the Proverbs uh, as well, where it's you're saying something, but you're also saying something else underneath what you're saying. So as much as I'm intrigued by the beauty of the proverb and how well it sounds, also Bible verses do that as well in the book where you're saying something from the Bible, but then there's a deeper meaning and it connects to another part of the book. And and the first Bible verse I ever learned is in Aunt Jen. Which one was that? And I, God is a spirit and they that worship so him must worship him in truth. spirit and in truth. My grandmother taught me that Bible verse. I remember I was about three and she put me up on the bench and she said, oh, she has a Bible. She was so proud. She said, she has a Bible. She has something she wants to say. And I had to say this verse for the whole church and then they clapped. But that that verse has been ingrained in my psycho system. And until I was an adult, every night I said that verse before I went. I, every night I said, even when I didn't understand what it was, mm-hmm. but it just seemed so important, you know. And, um, 
I didn't plan to write it. This is the other thing about writing. You don't, everything that's there is not something that was planned. And I, I remember there's a, a Spanish writer I used to teach, Spanish as from Spain, called Sela. And he said that when he would write, he would just create a character for each book that he wrote. He simply created a character and followed them wherever they went. Wherever they, they walked or ran, he just ran behind them. <laughs> I've always liked that Did you do analogy. that with Sunshine when you were inhabiting Sunshine, yes. her mind? I, I, I thought yes, I, Sunshine is so... I don't want to say mature because I think mature makes it sound as if she's above her age. I think Sunshine is very... She's exactly the type of uh, child nar- narrator that I love because she loves and she hates with equal fervor. She's just very passionate yes. about things yes, yes. and she's very yes. self-aware. So oh, when yes. she's upset yes. with her mother, you'll see her rewrite the letter multiple times. Yes. You'll yes. see her yes. be very yes. deliberate with the words that she chooses. You can see her say, I know I should not say this and this is not the mannerable thing to say, but this is how I yes. feel. Yes. And I was just curious. Yeah. So how was it like for you inhabiting Sunshine's mind when you're writing? And I guess also we can go into letters home as well, because you do that again in this book. With the with the people. Um how did I do that? It it wasn't easy because I I I had to keep reminding myself that this is a child. Mm And maybe that is why sometimes she sounds a little too grown up. But I put it down to her being, you you said self, being very aware of, of herself and her surroundings and so on. She's intelligent. Very She's very intelligent. bright. He, remember now, she spends a lot of time with Ma and, and Sue, both of whom are these women who are reservoirs of of knowledge of of life of were of the world of the district and so and on very and self-assured women as well they know yes. themselves and, and they have studied people mm-hmm. they know everybody mm-hmm. you know and remember when ma was describing people who was like she more lady ah, yes. who, you know yes likening them to different plants they know and they are wise mm-hmm. so she has you know watched them observed them and she's a little, remember how she sits in church watching everybody and describing the way everybody behaves? She, so, so she's very aware and she's learned a lot. Remember the, the newspaper, how when Grams used to get the newspaper, she was very much reading and keeping up with, with everything. Um, I didn't want to seem to be intruding into her mind too much um, as, as very conscious of avoiding too much authorial intrusion. But I think towards the end, that's where I kind of allowed some of me, the adult, to now speak because I, I felt that she, she grew, grew up, up yes. very quickly and she suddenly took a position and, and became very firm through adversary. Mm-hmm. And she grows up and she says, no, it's not about biology, right? There's more to this mother thing and so on. And I, and I know what I want to do and I'm choosing to do so and so. Mm-hmm. And she um, goes off. But but I, I was very aware of the, the sort of tensions in the child who wants to tell off this woman, but knows that she's a child she and she manners. must have manners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so she writes some letters and she tears them up. And there, there's one letter that was written so many After times. After she got the card, the white people card. <laughs> and she tells, she tells her exactly what Ma says. Ma says it's white people style. You pick up. <laughs> and we're not interested in your thoughts. <laughs> so, so she has learned a lot from Ma, mm-hmm. right? So she has taken a lot from Ma. The, the 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 kind of snide um 
way of saying, you know, you, you, you are not a nice person. You are not a caring person, right? She has got that from man. She, and that strength that she has in the end is also from man yes. to say, because Ma has been saying, sunshine, less turkey, less yours. You know, if it was me, I wouldn't write, but it's not me, <laughs> right? So she has, been, she has been warning her, cautioning her and saying, you know, have some independence. Don't spend your time, you know, reaching out to somebody who is not paying any attention to you. So that yeah, is the um, story. Things. Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 that, that Anansi story. Oh, yes, that is that as a deliberately contrived story for her to get that understanding, mm-hmm. right? Who is it that loves you? Who is it that cares about you? That's your community. Yeah. Yes, 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 yeah. All right, so let's switch gears a bit and talk about Leto's Home, which is connected to Aunt Jen, but it's not quite a sequel for it. Would you mind doing a reading for us? Yes, yes, yes. So I'm going to read from Leto's Home, and I'm going to read the last letter among Jen's letters. And it's entitled, One Day in 2018. There are many people like me in England. Came to this place with our hopes high. Sail away from our beautiful countries to go to England. We said we would stay for five or six years. And then we couldn't go back because we kept waiting for the right time. A few people went home and some came right back. They went home to a different place that they didn't know. Jamaica changed so much since we left. Same thing for all the islands, different from when we leave them. Today, I ask myself if I miss my chance to go home. But it doesn't matter now. It does not matter. No daughter, no family, no mother. I wonder what my mother would say about me now. If she saw me, lonely, eating by myself every day in this cold country. If she thought that I came here and did not become a nurse as she and Papa wanted. Would Mama place me as smaddy? Mama had two groups of people, smaddy and not smaddy. Smaddy was somebody who she said never waste them life, make something of it. Not Smuddy was a loser. Not Smuddy was lazy. And not Smuddy was idle and not serious about anything. And not Smuddy was not bright and was just full of too much false pride based on nothing. What would Mama say now about me? I think I am Smuddy, somebody. But Mama's standards were different from mine. She probably would shake her head and say not a word. Just shake her head. If she thought I really turned out to be a not smuddy, she probably would not say it out loud. You could not always tell what mama would do. But I'm alive, just waiting for the English marigolds to bloom again. Marigolds. I used to love marigolds when I was a little girl. I would pick them and put in my hair. I just pick them and smell them all day. I loved to watch the bees buzzing around them. It was my favorite thing to do in the evenings after school. Sometimes I thought I would become a seller of marigolds. English marigolds just beautiful. Jamaican marigolds, beautiful too. Sometimes I dream of marigolds. One bright morning when this life is over, I will fly away to a place that is full of marigolds 
beautiful, bright yellow marigolds. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Right. So, so I don't want people to think that they can never understand Letters Home without reading Aunt Jen. So they're connected, but Letters Home stands on its own. And anybody can read it because every book has a background, right? Every book has people who have a past. They talk about their past. They talk about different eras of their lives. So it can be treated that way. Um, they are not inextricably linked, right? It's, it's not part one and part two. But if you if you have read Art Jen, it, it helps, probably. So to tell you the truth, a lot of people have been saying to me, why didn't you write a sequel? Because remember how Aunt Jen ends, right? <laughs> With the granddaughter, <laughs> right? That's the surprise this ending. This surprise ending where you were just like, wait, what? What happened? And you do want more. And I thought that was, again, your craft, brilliant. I thought it was a brilliant way to end the book because lives don't end right. at page, the end of the page. Life continues for these characters. So. Right. That was that was really and great. That's what, that's what writers do when they don't know what to do. <laughs> you torture the readers in the best way possible. <laughs> so I, I just threw out this this sunshine has a daughter. <laughs> and the daughter is now reaching out to her grandmother. Um and um it letters home picks up there because so many people had asked me, why not write a sequel? But I didn't want to write the typical kind of sequel where, you know, April continues to write. So April has found letters mm -hmm. and she has sent, well, she's been given the letters by Uncle Roy, who says the grandmother had written them to her daughter, Sunshine, but maybe they were never mailed and the grandmother had them there in a box. So. April now is has read them and is sending them onto her stoic mother. <laughs> and the letters are the mother pouring out her heart. Um, the mother becomes a kind of mouthpiece for other West Indians at that time, other women and their struggles. Her testimony is really an, an accumulation of testimonies. So I talked to her, not in, I mean, after listening to them, some of her friends, listening to her, um, just talking to different West Indian women who went, Windrush women, women who went after Windrush and so on, and then deciding to, to write out of these experiences. It is her attempt to explain to Sunshine why she hasn't been able to write, a lot of excuses um, and so on. You know, the reader has to decide, is she, I mean, how difficult was it to, you know, to really write and is the story really true and so on and so on. Are the stories, many stories. But so much comes out of it, the struggles to to, to settle down, to, to, to find a home, to find, to find community, to find friends, to endure the cold. And, and then there's another set of letters that, that are also found, and these are said to be her uncle's ramblings. And if you read that, you realize how incoherent a lot of that um, is um, because the, the uncle was said to have gone, I don't know if it was senile or really lost his mind, um, but became ill, went into a home, was, you know, lonely, felt abandoned, went through all kinds of emotional and psychological trauma and all of that comes out in his ramblings. So you get that aspect of the consequences, the consequences, the effects 
of leaving home. That's the other side of, of the migration story. Yes. When we when we talk about the migration story, we often talk about the effects of migration on people left behind. And we don't often get the truth because many people who migrate don't tell the truth, right? They go away and they pretend that everything is fine in New York, mm-hmm. right? And everything, everything is, is fine. Shiny and new. Yes, they have money, they have credit cards, they can come down and spend, and, and they never talk about the basement that they live in, right? As Jamaicans, we're very proud. And mm-hmm. there is that mm-hmm. idea that once you've gotten to England, once you've gotten to even America, you have you reach, you arrive. So to say yes, that yes, conditions yes. are even worse than what you had when you were yes. home, that just builds on top of the silence because no one, because even mm-hmm. when, uh, even when she gets there, she's like, "Why did no one tell me it was like this?" Right. Yes. Yeah. No, but because I think some of it was that they didn't want their families back home to worry mm-hmm. that things were so hard, and there there was also the pride that here you are. Um, you have left Jamaica, traveled so far, um, and this is what you're enduring. Now, some of them would have come back home, but they, they just couldn't afford to. They just decided to be strong and to endure it. And I've, I've met people. I met another lady who was like a mentor to my mother. and. When I met her, she was 92. She had been in England for almost 70 years, and she has never been back to Jamaica. And I said to her, you cannot go back. I said, "You, you cannot go back because you will not find the Jamaica that you have kept in your head all this time. Because many of them, that's that's... What they have, the memory that they have carried, they think that that is the Jamaica that they left. And some of them left from some bushes with no, you know, nothing. And they still think that Jamaica is still stuck in that past. Mm-hmm. So I said to her, if you came, you, I said, you will faint shock. at the airport. <laughs> yes. yes. She wouldn't come now, though, because she's almost 100. But she's never been back. Never. And there are several of them like that. They have never been back, and some of them are have nobody to come to know anyway. Mm-hmm. Their relatives have, have died. Um, you you asked me a question that I, I that got me so excited. Yeah, let's discuss that. If you, if you're creating a playlist for Aunt Jen and Letters Home. What are a few songs that you would add to the playlist and why? So the first song is My Boy Lollipop. And I don't really? know why. <laughs> <laughs> My Boy Lollipop is, is just... I, I tell you why. I tell you why. And it, it is probably more in terms of Letters Home mm-hmm. than then. Because when I think of... I remember... So... My mother has lived in England for a long time. My mother died two years ago in England. My and my, my mother, my uncle, my step, all the West Indian people who I know and who I've visited over the many, many years in England and sat and talked to them. When West Indian music started going to London, that was what brought joy to them mm-hmm. finally. And they all talk about my boy Lollipop. It was a hit, right? So, so in Letters Home, when I when I I think I mention it in Letters Home, where when they start having Shubin, Shubin was there when they first started to have their dances. When you know they were tired of being driven Just out excluded. of the, the pubs yeah. and so on. Right, and so they started squeezing up in there a little, and that was one of the songs they used to to sing a lot. And remember, Millie Small made that big hit. And then, 
The next one would have been Unforgettable. That's Nat King mm-hmm. Cole. That's that's one of my my favorite songs. It's uh it's a song that my I grew up seeing my father. My father had this among his collection of songs that he brought back from the UK, right? Um, and he always played it. So I grew up with this song in my head as one of my favorite songs, Nat King Cole's Unforgettable. Then the the next one is The Girl Is Mine, any Michael Jackson song. Okay, but how do Michael Jackson one fit in? <laughs> My mother said she used to love the Jackson 5. She said it, and I'm, I'm looking at her. And when Michael Jackson was, when the Jackson 5 were singing, she was probably, she was probably in her 40s. Um, but she said they used to travel on the bus and they couldn't wait to hear this song being played. And, they would they they would talk about it. I guess it was something that that brought them together. I don't know, but it just seemed strange to me when you know she was talking about how they loved Michael Jackson and the West Indians would stand at the bus stop talking about Michael Jackson. But it's the version with Paul McCartney. The, the, the girl is the girl is mine, and then any ska song, any ska song, because ska was what kept. The, the West Indians in the early days, they 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 danced, they they loved the. Some of them went, um, particularly the ones that went in the sixties and so on, who, um, would have heard some ska before they they left. But in the lonely days, those were some of, and I I don't know, but my boy Lollipop is just a song that I've always seen, just. Imagine them singing. So that that's my that would be my yeah yeah maybe some folk songs you know but I don't know that that would be maybe one or two folk songs but in uh, of course in Letters Home there is a song in Letters Home that's the the song that um, she says Gramps. Well, this is Sunshine's Gramps, but it's it's the mother's um, father, and she's talking about him singing the the Colon Man song. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember seeing that. This the so she's telling in her letter now in Letters Home, she's telling Sunshine because remember now in Aunt Jen, Gramps is this kind of solitary, withdrawn person. And she's saying, that's not the Gramps I know when I, right, he was livelier and talkative and so on. And she's recounting Gramps stories of them going to Panama in his young days. It's all about one, two, three, four, Colon Manacom. Mm -hmm. He used to sing that song um, a lot and so on. So that, that song is there as folk song. Oh, one last thing before you go. If someone likes your books, what other books would you recommend to them? Oh, the Annie John by Jamaica. That, that is. I could see Sunshine and Annie yep. having great yes. adventures where they love each other, then they hate each other, then they love each other again. <laughs> and they're feisty. Yes, love it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. I've enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for your time and thanks for your. I I have enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for getting me to talk. (laughs) This was another episode of Like a Real Book Club, a podcast from Rebel Women Lit. And I'd like to thank Hodder Education for arranging this interview with Professor Ramsey. The interview went on for just over two hours, but we had to cut it short. If you're a sustaining member, you can visit a private blog where the entire interview and video will be posted. Make sure to check out the entire Caribbean Contemporary Classic series by Hodder Education. There are some amazing books being republished that I personally need on my bookshelves and in my collection. A lot of these books I've only ever heard of and I've never been able to actually find them in bookstores or even libraries. 
So I'm excited to see the republication of classics like A Brighter Sun by Sam Selvon, Green Days by The River by Michael Anthony, The Sun's Eye by Anne Walmsley, which I've only heard about and now I actually have the opportunity to get myself a copy, Escape to Last Man Peak, which we spoke about in an earlier podcast episode that it will be made into a film soon. There's also Old Story Time by Trevor Rohn, Over Our Way by Jean DaCosta and Velma Pollard, the Young Warriors by V.S. Reed, and of course we have Aunt Jen by Paulette Ramsey. There are two new books that will come out in the Contemporary Classic series and they are Letters Home by Paulette Ramsey and Neville and the Lost Bridge by Debbie Jacob. As you know, accessibility to Caribbean literature is something that we're really passionate about here at Rebel Women Lit. And if that's something you're excited about too, Go to rebelwomenlit.com, get these books, add them to your bookshelves, get them, donate them to other libraries and public libraries so other people also have access. Yeah. Next time, I'll be back with Christina and Ashley. And until then, I'll see you at book club.